Welcome to Absent Father Podcast, a weekly conversation where we discuss the impacts in all areas of our life, of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers that we create along the way. I'm your host, Rodney Miller, executive coach, MBA, and son of an absent father. You can learn more about me and get in touch by visiting www.rodneymuller.com or by email at me at rodneymuller.com. We got greatness by choice. We got gravity by chance. All right, welcome to another episode of the Absent Father Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Rodney Miller. Delighted to have you here today. Again, I'm excited about this podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about abandonment, uh, which obviously is central to the conversation about some of the impacts of growing up with an absent or distant father. Um, but we're going to talk about it in a couple different ways. You know, um, talk about it through the lens of uh, you know how how it's kind of passed down and some of the ways that apps uh, abandonment looks, uh, both physically and emotionally, uh, how we do it to ourselves and others, uh, what we learn to tolerate as people who grew up with an absent or distant father. And we're also going to talk about Oprah. And I actually want to start there, and you might be wondering how and why in the heck are we going to talk about Oprah. Um, but there's a couple things uh, that led me to this realization about abandonment, and it really starts with Oprah. Um, you know, I've, I've shared a little bit about my story growing up with an absent father, but uh, something that was really integral and has all these interesting kind of twists and turns in the story of my life is uh, my relationship to Oprah. Uh, now, Oprah is not a friend of mine, although I'd like her to be, and I think of her in the soulful sense that I think we're traveling in the same planes. But ever since I was a kid, I think I was five, five, six years old, it may have been when the Oprah show was just, just beginning, um, my babysitter would always have it on. I think it came on at four o'clock in the afternoon uh, on Channel 5, NBC in, in St. Louis. And it was always on. And I think as a kid, kind of trying to figure out, you know, how to be a man, what it means to be a man, uh, just starving for some place to understand, you know, well, what does a father actually do? What does a, what does a dad do? What does a husband do? What does a boyfriend do? Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I, I gleaned a lot uh, from watching the Oprah Winfrey show. And at the time, you know, there was often conversation about, you know, women and women's relationship to men and how men are in relationship to, to women and and I think that I was also interested in kind of the depth of some of the, the programming. Um, and, you know, as I grew up, I was uh, continued to be influenced by Oprah, particularly uh, a lot of the, the spiritual work that she did, uh, a lot of the depth of the conversation that she was having, uh, and really 
that influence and the people that were introduced on the show really led me to discover my passion and my purpose in life. When I was 15, uh, I read a book by Gary Zukoff called Soul Stories. He, he was routinely interviewed on the Oprah show. And that was the moment that I started to see there was more to life. There was more to uh, what was going on in people's emotions and in my own emotions than, than uh, what was obvious. Um, and that spark, even at 15, was really what kind of continued to move me down this path. So what does this have to do with Oprah? Well, there's two things. Uh, one, there's a crazy story of the first time that I got to see Oprah live in person that I think is really unusually tied into uh, my own father's story that I want to share with you. Um, and then later, uh, I was actually on the Oprah show, and there's a question that the coach, Ion LeVanzant, asked my wife on that show that really rocked me. And so I want to tell you those two stories. So the first story starts with... Um, you know, I find this with a lot of people that grew up with an absent father. You know, there's like a, a few little stories, like a few things that you kind of hold on to as kind of what you know of, of this absent father. And this is in the traditional sense of, you know, they're really physically absent. Uh, and so in my case, I, you know, I didn't even, I'd never even seen a picture of my father. I, I didn't even know what he looked like. I could have walked down the street and not not even had an idea that that was my father. And so when I would ask my mom, you know, like, well, what does he look like? And she would always tell me that he looked like John Travolta. Um, and my mom always did this. She was always incredibly honest about um, the experience. And even though she had every right to be uh, deprecating, about my father, who was completely absent while she was raising me as a single mom, especially the first seven years of my life. Um, she was always very gracious, which I, I really appreciated. And I I don't know if that's the best course, uh, but I think that honesty and uh, grace about it uh, was a good policy. But that's beside the point. My mom always told me that who my father looked like was John Travolta. In the meantime... I was always drawn to Oprah and truly one of the most influential figures in my life. And fast forward, you know, I'm still reading all these uh, self-help books, Gary Zukoff's Soul Stories was the first one of, but the first one of many. And in 2003, it was my junior year of college, uh, and I was uh, dating a, a amazing um, uh, woman at the time, my girlfriend in college, uh, who coincidentally had a father that she didn't know named Rodney, uh, which was pretty wild, and who I encouraged her to connect with, and she later did, and uh, I believe they created some kind of a relationship. That was pretty wild. But this uh, girlfriend of mine in, in college, she knew that I loved Oprah, and so she surprised me with getting uh, tickets to the Oprah show. So we were in uh, Southern Illinois. We were going to Eastern Illinois University, 
which is about three hours south of Chicago. So we, I'm like, holy cow, we got tickets to Oprah. What are we going to see? She's like, I don't know. It's a surprise. They wouldn't tell me. So we travel up uh, to Chicago, uh, about three-hour drive. We, we stay at a buddy's house, um, and we wake up, and we're like, you know, I want to get there as early as we can so that we can, you know, try to get as close as we can and sit in the front row. So we get to the studio, and part of the surprise is, is that we're going to be watching a movie. Uh, so they, we get to the studio. They're like, surprise, everybody get on this bus, and you know, you're going to head downtown, you're going to view this movie, and then when you're done with the movie, then you're going to come back for the studio audience portion of the Oprah show. And, uh, of course, you know, we had, you know, I was thinking that, you know, if we got there early enough, uh, you know, we'd get, you know, preference to sit near the front. We were late, and, and so I was kind of bummed about that. But we head over to the movie, and we learn that the movie that is going to be shown is a movie called Basic, starring John Travolta which was pretty weird. I was like, what is the... That's a weird coincidence. Uh, and also, the movie is is about... Um, I don't really remember exactly what the movie's about, but it's kind of an army movie, you know, probably a traditional plot starring John Travolta. Um, the crazy thing is, of course, at this time in 2003, I'm also in the army. I'm a sergeant in the Army Reserve and have been in for about five years. One of the characters in the show is named Sergeant Mueller. What are the chances of a Mueller uh, being in being a character in the show, being at an Oprah show that I don't even uh, I didn't know what the topic was, and this hugely influential person, Oprah, very tied to me and trying to find my way as you know being a fatherless son. Uh, and then the guest on the show, which is a surprise, turns out to be John Travolta, which is the one image I always had had in my mind about what my father looked like. Then, in the movie, there's a character named Sergeant Mueller. So it was kind of weird. It was really weird, and I still haven't really reconciled it to this day, except that I know that there are some magic things that happen in the world. Um. So then it turns out we, you know, we were late to getting in the studio audience. We had a number and we were like, you know, 300 and something, which I was kind of bummed about because we were going to be really far away. But we walk into the studio and immediately uh, one of the producers grabs us and places us in the front row. So I had a front row seat to Oprah and John Travolta, which was uh, super exciting. And I had no idea how to take this all in. Um, and it's, I think, still taken me many years to process that. The thing that I do know is that uh, I've had such a connection to her. Now when I look back on it, it just doesn't surprise me. So that was the beginning of the first time that I met Oprah. But where the story got interesting was, you know, I've told you uh, starting in about 2012, just when the Absent Father Project kind of kicked off, uh, the reason that really it spurred me into kicking it off and kicking off the blog, and which now led to this podcast, is I was I was sitting in my 
uh, home office in St. Louis in uh, December, and I was six months into my business after I had quit my full-time job, aka I was uh, working super hard, and I was really scared because I was solely um, reliant on my business now for income and paying the bills and that sort of thing. And so one of those uh, frustrating afternoons where I was uh, working super hard, uh, something came across, well, I said I was working hard, but really I was trying to uh, avoid working hard. So I was looking at Facebook and Oprah's life class on the Oprah Winfrey Network own uh, had had a little post like, hey, you know, do you have a story about growing up with an absent father? And I said, sure, that sounds like a great distraction. So I, you know, quickly submitted a, a story and didn't think anything of it. Uh, a little bit later, producer contacted me, did a little more interviewing, uh, and they asked me to be on the Oprah's Life Class show that was going to be talking about uh, the impact of growing up with a f- without a father, um, particularly the impact to to men, and a focus on fatherless sons. So, uh, why I tell that story is um, two reasons. One is it was really a, a, a sort of a confirmation that you know I wasn't alone that there were many men, and if you get to see the show that aired in 2013, it's, uh, it's really heartwarming. Um, and you see that so many men, so many uh, people, women also, who grew up with an absent or distant father, you get to see the common impact and the devastating impact. And so the second reason I tell that is because when I was on the show, uh, we ended up uh, Skyping in on video from the living room, and they wanted uh, my wife on the show as well, which I was like, oh, that's interesting, but, you know, I guess they had a reason. And, you know, it goes fine. I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but uh, Oprah's on the show. She welcomes us, you know, from our living room. We have our whole uh, Skype situation set up. And, you know, I'm talking to Oprah. That's really cool. And then they start to get into, you know, let's talk about some of the impacts. You know, what do you see? What, what, uh, what happened? And then the co-host, Ayanla Vanzant, who is a uh, very famous uh, life coach and, you know, has created, I believe she still has a TV show currently on uh, the OWN network. Uh, she asked a question of my wife, Tasha, which really has stuck with me even uh, six years later. And the question was, are you ever afraid that Rodney will abandon you? And I was like, huh? Why would you ask that? Why would she say such a thing? Of course, I'm not going to abandon her. I wouldn't abandon my children because I know the impact of that. And so I didn't necessarily think much of it um, in that moment, but man, it landed like a ton of bricks. And I started to ask myself the question about, you know, why would she ask that? Was there something that she saw that I didn't see? And over the years, 
the question that I've often asked myself and that I've started to notice about myself is how I do abandon people and how it's kind of a, a passed on trait uh, and, and also how I abandon myself. So all that story to say, um, let's talk about abandonment. Now, there's kind of the obvious impact uh, of physical abandonment, right? My father was absent, um, and all of the things that occur inside of being abandoned in that way. Um, and I, I do believe that, you know, abandonment most of the time, especially when it comes to the father, is really like um, there's a sense of fundamental unworthiness and not enoughness and pain that it's easier to uh, abandon those problems, abandon um, uh, challenges than it is to face them. And I really believe that for most of the fathers that are abandoning their children, it's not necessarily because, um, I think it's actually never because it's really a choice. It's just a reaction a normal reaction to abnormal pain or trauma that they've also experienced. So I want to talk today, though, about how, how abandonment shows up for me and I think how it gets passed down. So there's two parts of abandonment. There's physical abandonment, and then there's emotional abandonment. So physical abandonment is like... Uh, and they kind of live together. But physical abandonment really can look a lot of ways. It can look like, uh, you know, being gone your entire life. It can look like, you know, traveling uh, and being apart from the people that are important to you. Um, and then there's emotional abandonment. And, you know, I can certainly stay and keep track of physical abandonment. When I, when I started to think about emotional abandonment um, and the lack of presence with someone, that really hit me like a ton of bricks. And what I realized is that all the time I was, I might have been there in the house. I might have been at home, you know, eating dinner with my wife, uh, you know, and hanging out on the weekends. But emotionally, I was not present. Emotionally, I had abandoned her and abandoned people that I cared about, um, which we call normal. You know, it's just sort of what we call normal. But people feel it when we emotionally abandon them. And this isn't really like an indictment. You know, you don't need another thing to beat yourself up with. But just to notice, like, oh, yeah, I might be physically present or physically there, but am I emotionally connected? Am I emotionally present? And I'd say almost always when we're not being emotionally present or available with others, it's a direct result of not being emotionally present with ourselves. So one of the things that I would notice is, um, you know, when I get scared and, you know, scared, how you know I'm scared is I'm pretty robotic. I'm working really hard. 
Uh, I'm probably not eating regularly. I'm probably not taking breaks. So when I'm scared, I kind of abandon myself. I abandon my needs. I don't give myself a break. I don't set boundaries. Um, I don't take care of myself when I'm sick. So it's kind of a hard concept to think about how do I abandon myself, but we do it all the time. We <clears throat> we let other people uh, set boundaries for us. We say yes when we mean no. Um, we we don't give ourselves lunch or dinner or breakfast. Uh, we don't stop to drink some water, or we might even uh, not give ourselves the time to go to the bathroom when we need to go to the bathroom. We put it off until the last possible moment. So those are some ways that we emotionally abandon ourselves. So one last thing about this that that was really uh, striking to me, uh, when my wife and I first got married, um, she was... uh, in a job where she traveled pretty often. And one of the things that I realized is uh, as she would travel, you know, she'd be gone two weeks at a time or a week at a time or three weeks. And thankfully, uh, we've created it where that's not the case. She's not traveling as much anymore. Um, But it was so painful when she would leave and... Uh, Not like I was emotionally upset that she was going to be gone, but I just felt, I didn't know I was feeling something at the time, but, you know, she would leave and it would be like a downward spiral. You know, I wouldn't be eating, I'd be working hard, I wouldn't be sleeping as well, you know, I'd be eating pizza every night, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But uh, I noticed that, you know, she would leave and it just was really difficult for me to to not abandon myself emotionally. And I think what I learned in that and what I think is the thing that I want to leave you with is, you know, consider that um, when we are experiencing pain or we are not feeling uh, good enough or we are scared, so when we're feeling pain or we're not feeling good enough or we are scared, we tend to emotionally abandon ourselves and emotionally abandon others. And part of that reason is it's, it's a way of protecting ourselves from uh, disappointing others or from being um, rejected when we aren't feeling our best. And so what I, what I would look at and what I've certainly practiced is really looking at, number one, how do I really take care of myself and let myself feel, feel sad, feel angry? Um, how do I make requests to take care of myself? Um, and then the second part is, you know, starting with acknowledging uh, and becoming aware of the fact that you're having feelings. Um, and practicing letting other people support you, letting other people be with you when you aren't feeling the best. And ultimately, as we, as we grow and as we heal, and I hope that you know, these conversations are building more and more awareness, um, they're helping you talk about it, maybe you're reaching out to 
uh, a therapist or a support group or reading some self-help books, like anything, maybe even writing for yourself, um, that as you do that, we, we grow in our ability to remain present. And when we grow in our ability to remain present, we can, we can create the kind of connection uh, that we really want to have with the people that we love. And I know that it feels easier and safer to stay alone and isolated when you're feeling bad so that there's no chance of being hurt or risking losing the love of people that are there in your life. But at what cost? At what cost? And that is the, that's the thing that, and the reason that that question so stuck with me um, I don't, I don't want to emotionally abandon myself. I don't want to emotionally abandon my, my wife. And even though I'm a father that's in my daughter's life, um, that's step one. And step two is, how can I practice being more and more present with her? And the thing is, all of that starts with being more and more present to me. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope you got something from it. Again, this is the Absent Father podcast where we talk about the personal and professional impacts of growing up with an absent or distant father. Uh, I hope you will reach out to me. My email is me at rodneymuller.com. You can learn more about me at the website at rodneymuller.com. And also, I'd love for you to right now go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. It takes about one minute and really helps people that need this message find this message. And the last request I have is, if you know anybody that grew up with an absent or distant father, I'd love for you to share the podcast. I know it can be a vulnerable thing to do, uh, but I'd love for you to share the podcast with them. Uh, If you know any therapists, if you know any uh, social workers, I'd love to get your help in bringing this message to others so that they know that they aren't alone and that they can start to uncover some of the, some of the impacts. So they know it's not about them being a bad person. They're just having a normal reaction to an abnormal experience. Thank you so much. Until next time.